0: We promise we won't judge you if you take your robe off. Feel free. That was beautiful. May the peace of our Lord be with you. you. One of the most delightful things about being a children's pastor is that there is always at least one child in my life who calls me Miss Westweek. So, when I stumbled across a book review on StoryPath, a website that connects books written for children with the lectionary text for each week, about a rat named Rodney who had trouble pronouncing his R's, a book titled, Who Way for Wadney Watt, I had to read it. Rodney's classmates tease him about his inability to pronounce his R's. What's another name for a bunny, Rodney? Wabbit. And how does a train travel? A twain travels on twain twacks. One day, Rodney and his class get a new classmate, Camilla, Capybara, who turns out to be a bully. She introduces herself by saying, I'm bigger than any of you, I'm meaner than any of you, and I'm smarter than any of you. So there. Later on in the day, the class goes out for recess, and Rodney is chosen to be the leader for Simon Says. Hilarity ensues as commands like Simon Says Read the School sign become Simon Says Weed the School sign, and Rodney soon discovers that he can save his classmate from Camilla's bullying simply by continuing to mispronounce his Rs simply by being exactly who he is. It's a classic underdog story, much like today's lesson from 1 Samuel. The Philistines have gathered their armies for battle, and out from among the Philistine encampment comes Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Taking a cubit to be approximately eight inches and a span to equal six inches, This figures to a height of approximately 9 feet 6 inches, which is approximately 2 feet and 5 inches taller than Shaquille O'Neal. But Goliath wasn't just tall. He had some serious armor. He had a coat of mail, the metal ring kind, not the snail mail kind. The the coat weighed 5,000 shekels, or 125 pounds. He had greaves of bronze to protect his legs and a helmet of bronze to to protect his head. He had a javelin of bronze slung over his shoulder, the head of which weighed 600 shekels. And he had a shield-bearer to go in front of him. Goliath liked to taunt his enemies. For 40 days, he'd been shouting, Why are you even out here? Send somebody out here to fight! If he wins, we'll be your servants. If he loses, you'll be ours. It's the same bet I used to make with my cousins when we were children, minus the killing part, plus a whole lot of doing a terrible job of cleaning each other's rooms. For 40 days, the Israelites have heard, Today I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that we may fight together. David already anointed to be king, went back and forth from Saul to feeding his father's sheep at Bethlehem. He was the shepherd for the family's herd. A boy, Saul calls him, sent on an errand by his father to bring some food to his brothers who were part of the army. He goes to greet his brothers and hears Goliath's taunting. All the Israelites were afraid. And they proclaimed that the the reward for defeating the Philistine champion would be great. Money, and probably a daughter to marry, and freedom for all his family. David asks around about the potential for reward. His eldest brother Eliab hears about it and rebukes David. Why are you tending the sheep? You just came to see the fight. And David responds with one of my favorite questions in the Bible. I can just see him roll his eyes and say, What have I done now? I was only asking a question. Then David turns away and inquires again of the potential reward. Eventually, Saul gets wind that David is asking around and sends for David, which is where today's lesson begins. David says to Saul, Let no one's heart fail because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. You're just a boy, Saul replies, and Goliath has been a warrior from his youth. But I'm a shepherd, David says. The dull, mundane task of tending sheep has prepared me for this moment. Plus, I've fought lion and bears. And Goliath is just like them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord will save me. So Saul says, go and may the Lord be with you. Saul tried to prepare David with armor, but David cannot walk in the armor. So he picks up five smooth stones and goes into battle with his staff, his sling, and the stones. When he approaches Goliath, Goliath gives him a once-over, and the taunting begins again. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Come to me, David, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David was probably used to the taunting, what with all those brothers. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, he says, the God of the armies of Israel. The Lord will deliver you into my hand. And with all the detail of the previous 48 verses, Verse 49 is so matter-of-fact. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into Goliath's forehead, and Goliath fell face down on the ground. David beats Goliath. It is one of the best-known stories of the Bible. One we tell our children and one that is so often used in popular culture to describe the team or the competitor or the candidate who is sure to lose. A classic underdog story. But is it? Earlier this week, I stumbled upon a TED Talk by Malcolm Gladwell on this story. Gladwell explained about the different kinds of warriors in this battle, the cavalry, the heavy infantry, and the artillery, which would have included archers and slingers. Slingers, much like David, would have used a slingshot, not the kind of slingshot that springs to mind with a rubber band between two sticks, but one that has a piece of leather or cloth that attaches to the wrist. You fill it with stone or another projectile, you swing it over your head in a circle and then let go. Historical records tell us that slingers could hit their mark from 200 feet away, and they were capable of hitting birds in flight, which called to mind a reference in our, the book that we, the Bible that we give our children, the Little Red Bible, where it says, in judges 20 verses 16. There is a reference to the Benjamite forces, which included 700 men who were left-handed, yay lefties, and every one of them could sling a stone at a hare and not miss. Though David wasn't fighting in the army, the skills he developed as a shepherd would have included slinging. Therefore, Gladwell proposes David was not nearly as unprepared for battle as we make him out to be. Goliath was a Philistine, and he had a responsibility to his people. He was a warrior, and he had a responsibility to his army. He might, if he were standing here today, even argue that he was just offering himself in place of the whole army to face off against one Israelite, a common practice for armies who wanted to avoid the death toll of battle. Therefore, Goliath may not be nearly as one-dimensional as we make him out to be. This story was probably written down hundreds of years after it happened, written for people who had their own giants to face, captivity in a faraway land. Though the story has its problems, it probably was a source of comfort for those who found themselves in exile. It has been used as a source of comfort throughout history, because of its clear message that God is with us when we are in distress. But I imagine that over the years, many hearts have been changed because people recognize more of themselves in Goliath than they do in David. No matter if we are David or if we are Goliath, there is a message here for us. How much we recognize God's presence with us or not may vary But God is there, speaking the story of love in the face of our giants, and showing us how to be love to those for whom we are the giant. Everyone loves a good underdog story, unless you're the favorite. Sometimes we are the underdog, and sometimes we are the favorite. Sometimes we are David, and sometimes we are Goliath. When we are bringing this story across the hermeneutical bridge, interpreting it, we can't just ask ourselves, who or what are our Goliaths? We must also ask, who is our David? We each face our own giants, giants of injustice, giants that leave us feeling powerless, Giants that give us an image of ourselves that is untrue to the image in which we were created. Giants that rob us of hope. Giants of resentment or loneliness. Giants of discouragement and doubt. Giants of pride and selfishness. Today, some of us need to hear, Let no one's heart fail because of this thing. The Lord will stand with us. It's not that there aren't giants to be afraid of. It's that one of the greatest gifts of God's love is God's presence with us every time we face them. We each can be the face of the giant. We can bolster injustice, hold on to too much power, perpetuate a harmful image, steal hope, sow resentment and loneliness. Be the source of discouragement and doubt, and let pride and selfishness guide us. Today, some of us need to hear, Put down your sword and die to your own misdeeds. More than likely, we need to hear both. None of us is one-dimensional either. People never really are. Since I've been deep in the weeds of this story all week, I've also had one of our old Bible camp songs as a constant companion running through my head. I don't need a sword or spear when the giant's drawing near cause my God is always near I have nothing left to fear through the wind and the rain through the fire and the flame God's love is still the same and we will not be afraid. When we dedicate our children, we promise them that we will tell them the stories of our faith history. After this week, I may tell this one a little differently. No matter who we are more like, we are God's. And God's love is still the same. So let's not be afraid to face our giants or to let them go. Amen.